And what we've been doing in our sermon series and what we're going to continue to do in the run-up to Christmas is we're taking a look at Matthew's Gospel. We don't have time to look at every chapter, every verse, so we're focusing in on some of the key themes of the Gospel. And today we come to the theme of leadership. And in many ways it has been um, a devastating year for church leadership. Jonathan Fletcher, Steve Timmis, Ben Thomas, Jean Vanier, Ravi Zacharias. All of them in positions of church leadership and now all of them embroiled in some form of abuse scandal. You're probably aware, last week, the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse published its report about the Church of England and the Church in Wales, citing decades of failure to protect children and young people from sexual abusers, facilitating a culture where perpetrators could hide, and in many cases, perpetrators giving more support than the victims themselves. I'm not sure if you read any of it. It's a shocking read. It is shameful and it is devastating. And if you are someone here looking into Christian things, and it's great to have you with us today, it might well be you are thinking to yourself, well, this is precisely why I don't want anything to do with the church. Or at least you are very wary of it when you read of these sort of horrific things happening. It is outrageous when any supposed respected leader, church leader, treats people in this way. And that is why I hope this passage will come as a comfort to you as we see Jesus Christ expose the false leadership of his day, but also show us why he's the one true leader that we can trust with everything. Now the passage itself splits in two, verses one to 14, Jesus exposes the false leadership, and then verses 15 to 21, Jesus exhibits true leadership. So let's start with the exposure, this is verses one to 14, let me read out verse one again. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, this is not the first time we've come across the Pharisees in Matthew's gospel, the religious leaders of the day. But this is the first time that we get a real insight into where they are actually coming from and what really makes them tick. Before they've asked questions of Jesus, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? How is it that we fast, but your disciples do not fast? But do you see here how their questions now turn to accusations? And they are very quick to criticize. Look, look, Jesus, look at what your disciples are doing. I mean, just the fact, it seems like they're they're watching, just waiting for someone to put their foot wrong. And as soon as they do, right, we're on them. Look, Jesus, they've broken God's law. Except they haven't. Jesus responds in verse 3. Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. 
Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Now, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He is exposing the Pharisees' complete misunderstanding of the law. They are the very teachers of the law. And Jesus is saying, you haven't even grasped the meaning of it. He gives them two legal precedents. The lawyer's here. You're going to love this. Jesus says, think David. Think the priests. Great King David, he was hungry. His companions were hungry. And they didn't just pick some ears of corn. They ate the entire consecrated bread, and they weren't condemned for it. So why are you condemning my disciples? Or take the priests, they work on the Sabbath. I mean, Jesus uses very strong language here. They desecrate the Sabbath. But there's no problem here. There's no condemnation here. Temple service takes precedence over Sabbath observance. And someone greater than the temple is here. My disciples have done nothing wrong. So what is it that the Pharisees have got wrong? The teacher of the law, the religious leaders of the door. They studied the law all the time. They taught it. What has gone wrong? Jesus continues to expose them in verse 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is the second time Jesus has quoted this very verse in Matthew's Gospel from Hosea in front of the Pharisees. Because he's trying to point to them the very heart of the law. Of course sacrifice is important. Of course the entire sacrificial system is important. But mercy is even more important. Mercy gets to the heart of the law. Mercy here, showing mercy to one another. The disciples are hungry. They've got no food. They need to eat. God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so, yes, it might be argued that by a very pedantic reading of the letter of the law, that plucking ears of corn would be reaping and rubbing them out would be threshing, and therefore the disciples are doing some work, and work is not allowed on the Sabbath. It would be unlawful. But come on, guys, Jesus is saying. The very heart of the law is showing mercy, doing good, feeding the hungry. You've got it all wrong. And you are condemning the innocent. What a horrible thing to be said about anyone or said about you. How twisted the Pharisees have got the law of God. I recently came across the Netflix series Cobra Kai. Does that mean anything to anyone? A few nods. It's a nostalgic drama based on the 1980s film Karate Kid. This probably shows my age. I love it. With its themes of redemption, mentors, true leadership. Um, it's amazing. They've got all the original characters now in the show. Um, the motto of Cobra Kai is strike first, strike hard, no mercy. And now, 40 years later, the new leader of Cobra Kai, the sensei of this, the karate dojo, is finally beginning to realize how destructive it is to live by a motto of no mercy. 
not just for karate, for all relationships, for all of life. And what Jesus is doing here is he's exposing the Pharisees' complete lack of mercy, which is right at the heart of the law, such that they end up in these, just being so destructive and end up condemning the innocent. And not just do they condemn the innocent, in these next verses, 9 to 14, they end up plotting unspeakable evil on the Sabbath. They ask Jesus a question. Verse 10, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him. In other words, this is not a genuine question. They're only asking it to trap Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But Jesus knows exactly what they're doing and continues to expose them. This time exposes their hypocrisy. I mean, you guys are very happy to help a sheep out when it falls into a pit on the Sabbath and do good. Are you trying to tell me you're not going to do similar good for a human being? I mean, that is ridiculous. If you help a sheep and do good, you should help a human being. It is lawful, he says, to do good on the Sabbath. Not just permissible, it is a requirement of the law to do good on the Sabbath. And so in verses 13 to 14, Jesus heals the man. Doesn't even touch his hand that's all shriveled. Just says the word, stretch out your hand. And like God can create something out of nothing, this man's hand is completely restored. Such is Jesus' power and authority. Just as sound as the other, fully working again. But, verse 14, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. It's just, it's just so ugly that they would respond like this after all the good that Jesus is doing. But here he is exposing the false leadership of the Pharisees. Now let me pause here, draw some points together. First of all, do you notice that this plot to kill Jesus Christ comes not from the world, but effectively from the church at the time? From the Pharisees. From the religious leaders of the day the supposed custodians of the law. Secondly, do you notice how the law of God, given by God, the law which is good and holy and just, can be so twisted and so distorted by human sinfulness that the innocent end up condemned, good is perverted, even murder is plotted. Thirdly, do you see how Jesus exposes the Pharisees for the false leaders that they are? These three traits, quick to criticize. Not showing mercy. And such a distortion of the law that when the Lord of the Sabbath, someone greater than the temple is here, the Messiah, the one they've been looking forward to, here he is, finally, right before them, before their eyes. Not only do they not recognize him, but they plot to kill him. 
Now, you put all these traits together and we apply it to us today. Do not be surprised when you see false leadership in the church today. Yes, it is devastating. Yes, it is shameful. But it is nothing new, and Jesus Christ is the first to expose it. Now, it's not for me to diagnose the hearts of each of the failed leaders I mentioned at the start. But let me say this to you. You need to be very careful of any church leader who is quick to criticize in an overbearing way. You need to be very careful of any church leader who lacks a merciful spirit. Who is more likely to condemn you rather than show love and compassion to you. You need to be very careful of any church leader who does not have an obvious dynamic of grace and mercy at work in their own lives. Even if they preach grace to you encourage you to live by it, to rest in it, if it's not operating, obviously in their own heart, such that they are always really tetchy to feedback. They rarely talk about their own sin and their need for Jesus. You rarely hear them say, sorry, they are slow to forgive. Be very careful. Because these are the traits of the Pharisees, These are traits of false leadership and they're the same traits you will find today. Now, I mean, let me be clear. I say all this, right, as someone who is themselves a a church leader. So where's the spotlight right now? First and foremost, on me, on Pete. If you see any of these traits forming in us, you need to be very careful Point them out to us. Tell the church wardens. Pray for us. And if you do not see any change in us, then remove yourselves from our leadership. There is also, I think, a secondary application to any of us here who hold positions of leadership within the church in life in general to watch out in our own hearts for an overly critical spirit, which is always nitpicking, pointing out faults in an ungracious way, quick to condemn, almost quite enjoying it, not showing mercy to others, not actually having a genuine concern for another's well-being. Watch out for it. And watch out for any sort of twisting of the law that makes you think that your relationship with God, your Moral goodness before God. You're closer to him. He loves you more. You're a better person than someone else. It's based on your moral and religious performance. Watch out. If you recognize any of those traits, be quick to repent of them. Be quick to seek the Lord's forgiveness for them. And be quick to ask the Spirit's help to change. Well, if that's the first thing to see from this passage, the way Jesus exposes the false leadership, the second thing in verses 15 to 21 is to see the way Jesus himself exhibits true leadership. 
Because marvelously, in, in contrast to the Pharisees who we've just seen show no mercy to the disciples and their hunger, show no mercy to this man with the shriveled hand, Jesus continues to do good in verse 15. He empties the hospital, he heals everyone, all who were ill. And then we get this quote from Isaiah 42. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is the great leader promised by God. This is who Jesus is. This is the one who's, he's the fulfillment of this prophecy. And notice five characteristics about him. First, his status. Here is my servant whom I have chosen. The one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And so unlike the failed leadership of Israel, who by the way in the Old Testament were called God's servant. Here now we see the true servant of God. Chosen, beloved, delighted in, spirit-filled. Secondly, notice his quietness. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. Jesus, he, doesn't just, he just doesn't make a big song and dance about his ministry. We've just been told in verse 16, he warns people not to tell others about him. He just quietly goes around his business. There's no fanfare, there's no exhibitionism. He doesn't trample on others, he doesn't force his agenda through. Like many leaders today. There's a wonderful quietness about him. Not just that, notice thirdly his gentleness. Now this is just beautiful and Andy alluded to it in the talk earlier. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now we're not too used to these images today, but a reed was... A slender type of grass often found in the wetlands. There would be millions of them in Israel at the time, just commonplace, insignificant, natural to discard and replace with a new one, but not Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick, right? A candle. It's not working properly. It's not giving out the right amount of light. It's smoking. It's annoying. It's so easy to snuff it out. Toss it out. Dirt cheap. Get another one. Not Jesus Christ. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And if you want a modern day example, just to get it after the APCM on Thursday, I got a McDonald's. Joe gave me a vanilla milkshake. She wasn't interested. You know the McDonald's have got rid of their plastic straws, right? It's great news for the environment. You've got these paper straws now. After three sucks of this paper straw, it all like crumpled in at the top. I couldn't get any more milkshake out. It was really annoying. It'd become useless. What did I do without thinking? Tossed it out. Got another one. Many leaders treat people like that. The Pharisees treat people like that. Jesus Christ never treats anyone like that. If you are someone here who has suffered previously at the hands of church leaders, and look, perhaps you are feeling broken. Perhaps you are feeling insignificant, disposable, discarded, chewed up, spat out. I want you to know that Jesus Christ will never treat you like that. Think of the gentleness of, having, of, of dealing with a bruised reed. Think of the time, the effort, the patience, the willingness not to snuff out a smoldering wick, but restore it to working order. Repairing a McDonald's straw. This is just a little picture of, 
of the love and the compassion and the gentleness that Jesus shows to all who follow him. It is a beautiful, wonderful thing. Fourthly, his perseverance till he has brought justice through to victory. Jesus will not stop until our sin is paid for, death is defeated, and justice reigns in a perfect new world. Complete restoration, not just of shriveled hands, but complete restoration of the entire universe, and nothing will stop Jesus from bringing his good purposes about. Fifthly, his people, who he has come for. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Jesus is available to all, all nations. Anyone who puts their hope in him is his. Now, look, let's take a step back here at the whole passage. What a contrast to verses 1 to 14 as we see these two types of leadership put side by side. The Pharisees and Jesus. One type of leadership, ugly, evil. The other type of leadership, beautiful and full of goodness. Now it's obvious which of those two types of leadership you and I need to be under. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus Christ invites us to him to be under his leadership and he invites us for free. Right before this section, in chapter 11, verses 28 to 29, do you know what Jesus says? These famous words, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Are you feeling weighed down by the guilt and shame of your own sin? And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, you will find rest for your souls. I won't condemn you. I will forgive you. I've gone to the cross for you. I've paid for your sin. Come to me. Forgiveness will be yours. Relationship with God restored. I will cover your shame with my righteousness. Come to me. I will give you rest. Are you feeling weary, bruised from the sin that others have committed against you? Jesus says, come to me. A bruised reed I will not break. A smoldering wick I will not snuff out. I will give you rest from failed leadership. I will give you rest from all that overbearing critique, condemnation, abuse. I am a gentle leader and yet I will bring justice through to victory. Come to me. Are you feeling weary and burdened by the incredible pressure you put on yourself to succeed, to be a better friend, a better spouse, 
a better parent, a better worker, to match up to your own standards or other people's standards, let alone God's standards. And Jesus says, come to me. And I will give you rest from it all. You don't have to play those games anymore. You can have rest from all your moral or religious attempts to get right with God, keep right with God, or keep up standards with others. Someone greater than the temple is here. Forgiveness, righteousness, rest, healing, full restoration to come. I give it all for free. You just need to come. Now, let me just say, just to be clear, that none of this downplays the need for godly leadership in the church today. The pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, are absolutely clear that church leaders need to be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, gentle, not quarrelsome, manage their own household well, a good reputation with outsiders. But it does mean that in Jesus Christ, we see what true godly leadership looks like. So let's come to him, let's find our rest in him, and let's show others what true godly leadership looks like. Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this passage and the way Jesus exposes the false leadership of his day. We thank you, Father, for not just that, but he exhibits true leadership. It's just marvelous to see Jesus' beauty here, his gentleness, how he will not break a bruised reed, will not snuff out a smoldering wick. We hear his call to come to him. It's for free. Forgiveness, restoration, rest, what the word Sabbath actually means. And so wherever we're coming from, I pray, Lord, you would draw us nearer to Jesus Christ and find rest for our souls. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.